Hi, uh, my name is Kevin Matthews, and this week I'm coming at you in full 3D. It's Dave's fault, but I'm 3D to the max. It's all been 3D. It's a 3D week. Enjoy this 3D. I'm, gu- I'm guessing you watch Creature in 3D? Oh, damn right I did. Nice. I'm Tyler Hosley, and I didn't watch a fucking thing in 3D, bastards. <laughs> I'm Dave Gray, and I, I did watch something in 3D, but instead... um. It it wasn't one of the ones that we had to watch this week. I said I watched uh-huh. Flesh. I, well, no, I watched Flesh for Frankenstein as bonus in 3D, and that was something. And this is Raiders of the Podcast. Hey, no, I'm just jealous of your 3D though. Well, I I've never I've never seen that in 2D or 3D, but uh, oh. I know. I know those guts and viscera hanging off the screen would be great. Yeah, it's like I'd passed up a chance to see it in 3D earlier this year because I mean, just because it it didn't like jive with my schedule. I was really busy, but holy shit, man! Now that now that I have, I don't I don't think I could ever go back to the 2D because that is. But before we get into discussing other things, just to get all the jealousy out of the way right now, how many of this week's picks did you watch on your projector system? Oh, all. Four. All right, four okay. for four. All right. Yeah, fine. Go yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I know. Yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have too much uh, extra time for much else, but I did get a couple in. I watched uh, Flesh for Frankenstein. As I already said, I saw it in 3D. I, you know what? I wasn't sure how it would do, but I really enjoyed it in 3D. It it was uh, worked better than I thought. So you know that's one of the Warhol films with Udo Kier, and uh, it's directed by Paul Morrissey, who I'm trying to remember what else Morrissey did offhand. I think there was something else. Or was it just? Is that it? Did he do the Dracula one or not? No, no, he he no. didn't. Dracula was um. Oh, he did Women in Revolt and Trash. Or did he do Blood for? Maybe he did do Blood for Dracula. Yeah, he did. Okay. I oh, I, I just I just thought they used to be kind of double billed, but I know there'd yeah, be they, other reasons they were. for that. Uh, they both had here. I mean, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, I mean they're both they're both okay. I, I'm not as big into them as some others are, but it was nice to see it in 3D. I I didn't even know it was 3D before like two months ago. So what else? I watched Blackula, which is a personal favorite and a classic, and I watched a lot of stuff for the great work, which I still can't talk about. So you know, I, I hate to be a little tease, but the great work is going to consume a lot of my views. So. Just just be prepared to hear about the great work. Dave, anyone who knows you knows it should be one of two things. Oh, and what what are those? It's uh, No Shit Sherlock or it's Jack the Ripper. It is neither. It, oh. it, it's neither. Yeah, it's, some, it's something else. You dark horse. Oh, yeah. Um, I did some slight homework, kind of. I watched the Wolfman remake which is boring. Um, it's got a good atmosphere. I'll give it that, and it looks good. I just think the story's boring. Uh, Benicio Del Toro is fine. Uh, Emily Blunt is fine. 
the whole the cast is actually fine. The movie is just like really boring and really long, and it's just couldn't get into it. I couldn't oh. get into it in 2010 either. So yeah, I watched that too <laughs> for the same reason. Am yeah. I the only one of us three that, that like it then? Yes, but I didn't rewatch it this week. But I saw it at the cinema, and I I do think whatever you think of the film, I think it is one of the better mixes of CGI with the other effects to show mm. a, a wolfman. I think you should probably revisit it. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I will. I didn't have time this week, but I should have. Yeah. Yeah, the the CG and the transformation scene where he's like sitting in the middle of the room, everyone's watching. It's didn't age that well, and it's not even that old. So it's uh, but some of the practical stuff is okay when there is practical, but that transformation, well, not the worst I've ever seen, but it's it's still not great. It didn't hold up that well. But the atmosphere, the atmosphere is a the atmosphere solid. Like it's got a great gothic atmosphere. I think Joe Johnson really captured the atmosphere of the Wolfman. I just think the movie's boring. Like really boring. I, I I fell asleep twice, and I just kept I kept having to rewind it and go back, and it's just I really want to like it, but I just don't. I I forgot that the cop was Aberlene, which you know that was a real person, and it's just it's just weird that they made him a werewolf at the end, and then like nothing comes yeah. of that ever. What else did I watch? Oh yeah, I some more homework, I guess. Maybe I watched the Marcus Nispel directed Frankenstein movie or TV pilot, whatever the fuck that was. That was also boring, but uh, visually, again, it looked kind of cool. It kind of looked like um, a Frankenstein movie, like walked into a Nine Inch Nails music video. But that's like Marcus Nispel's thing. So when you watch one of his movies, that's what they look like. Um, it's got Vincent Perez, the best crow. Um, he's no. not good in that movie. He's he, how dare you? <laughs> no, I'm gonna keep doing that. I'm gonna keep doing that every time I mention Vincent. He's he's terrible in this Frankenstein movie, though. Just terrible. But uh, Parker Posey's good in it. She's always good. But the the problem with that movie, and I use movie in quotes because I like Dave said or Dave told me in Messenger. I think um that was meant to be a TV series and it failed. And it feels like it. It feels like a failed TV pilot. It was um it was meant to be a TV series. By um, Dean Koontz. Yeah. And uh, Koontz left over uh, arguments on the direction. So if you want to read in a really boring trilogy of Frankenstein books, I mean, maybe there's five now. There's a lot, and they're terrible. But you know what? Generally, Dean Koontz is terrible. Scorsese was originally a producer on the TV series, but uh, I don't think any dropped out before it aired. Yeah, it feels massively unfinished, but like I said, it's a TV pilot, so that's why it feels unfinished. It looks cool visually. If you like that like grungy Nine Inch Nails aesthetic, you will probably get some enjoyment from the visuals, but the story's boring and the acting's pretty bad, except for Parker Posey. And uh, one last bit of homework. I watched the, is it 1994? I think 1994 version of Frankenstein with Robert De Niro. Uh Kenneth Branagh version. Um, I like that one a lot, actually. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as any of the Frankenstein movies before it. Like, I mean, the original and Bride and all those. But it's still a solid modern remake. I think it's better than The Wolfman. Or uh, I don't know. I, I like Bram Stoker's Dracula better. The Francis Ford Coppola one better than this version. But it's still a pretty decent um Frankenstein adaptation. I think De Niro's good and the rest of the cast is good. And uh, 
Yeah, I dig. The best Frankenstein movies are The Hammer. I know I've seen a couple of The Hammer ones, but I don't really remember a lot of them. Like, I, oh, dude, you, you look, I, I know you dig it, so you should revisit them. Yeah, I should. It's been so many years. I went through like a Frankenstein run back in like the mid two thousands, but it's been years. Uh, I, I, I think, think my that's... favorite, my favorite Frankenstein movie is Flesh for Frankenstein. No, that movie's amazing, amazing. It's just fucking nasty and sleazy, and I wish I wish more Frankenstein movies were like that. But I need to do the Hammer ones for sure. Well, have you seen the the Bernard Rose Frankenstein? Tea? I have not. Uh, I think you dig that. It's quite a good uh, updated version of it. I think, yeah, I think you would find enough to enjoy there. That's fairly recent, right? I mean, not recent, recent, but on the newer, the mid 2010s. Uh, yeah, I think so. And like at one point, it was on Amazon UK for about like two pound for the Blu-ray. So I thought, oh, I'll grab that and give it a watch. And yeah, it was it was alright because I think Bernard Rose is is generally still stayed interesting for his career whether you end up you know liking or hating a lot of his movies yeah 2015 but it's it's all over the place online that's when i because i'm doing the great work i've been looking at a lot of streaming things and that's on like six different platforms for free Mm. i'll have to check that one out because i love frankenstein stuff so i'm i'm down more if I remember right, I think it's um might be like Danny Houston and Carrie Ann Moss and a couple yep. of support roles there. Yep. Yeah. Um so yeah, be be good to hear your thoughts on, on that one too, because I yeah, I I would I'd be fairly confident in saying that you'd like it. Yeah, I'm looking right now, it's pretty cheap on the internet, so I'll probably just snag a copy of the DVD. It's like really cheap, like under five dollars, so yeah, I'll grab one for sure. Uh, yeah, that's me for the week. I didn't really get any homework done uh, because things kept getting in the way. New things, shiny things. First of all, us watching Creature from the Black Lagoon allowed me to go 3D mad. So that was awesome because it was my first time watching that film in 3D. But then I was like, hell, I've had this Guns N' Roses 3D disc for a year or two. It's two hours and 45 minutes of Guns N' Roses putting on a ridiculously excessive gig and working it all around Axl Rose's ego as ever. I watched that and I had an absolute blast with that. Like it's an absolutely fantastic gig. I was pestering you guys with photos and gigs, but I was just loving life for that afternoon. And um, although it is really basically Axel Rose and a bunch of players rather than obviously anywhere near a classic Guns N' Roses lineup. It was great. Setlist was great. The 3D was fun. Every few minutes you had a guitarist try to do twiddly moves while pointing the end of his guitar at a camera to show off. Uh, I had a great time. I highly recommend Appetite for Democracy uh, live in Vegas or whatever the full title is to those who like those who would still really enjoy a lot of Guns N' Roses tracks unironically and bask in the glory of the November Rain video, stuff like that, because it's pretty much the same thing, but on a big stage. So, yeah. Then, 
we accidentally went to see Black Adam weeks Wait, ago. How did you yeah. accidentally go to see Black Adam? Well, bear in mind, weeks ago, for some reason, Vicky had like sent me a trailer and be like, Black Adam. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, Vicky really wants to see Black Adam. So I guess, you know, we'll have to go because although I think it's insanity, she sat through Nope and hated it and I loved it. And we've been to a couple of things, watched a couple of movies she hasn't really enjoyed. And I thought, Kevin, it's time. You just need to suck it up and go for this. So I messaged while I was at work, do you want to book tickets for Black Adam? So she did. I went along to see it. The trailers are playing. And I said to Vicky, I hope you enjoy this because I wouldn't have chosen to come and see this. And she said to me, I thought you wanted to come and see it. I went, no, I think it looks terrible. And she said, well, I don't want to come and see it either. <laughs> I, I mentioned it to you because I thought this is the sort of thing you'd want to see at the cinema. I'm like, no, neither of us had to be here. <laughs> so there you go. You go and see Black Adam by mistake. You know what? It's... um. It's not it's not bad. I think everyone's kind of superior fatigued out though. And I think it's most interesting in the moments where it's not being bish bash bosh superhero madness. I actually think Dwayne Johnson is good in the role and and plays his part well in terms of being sort of strong and moody, but then learning incrementally how people are around them it was slightly soured by some kid in the front row who had it looked like his phone was like a foot long and he was just playing games for about two thirds of the movie bearing in mind I was like three rows from the back but I just kept seeing his game going and I thought why is nobody near that kid just slapping him on the back of the head and getting his phone out of the way Kids in cinemas, man. Just, oh, just strap them down to the chair and then have them bend their phones on the way in and collect them on the way out. It's it's the worst phone abuse I've seen in some time, which is another reason why I wouldn't have chosen to go on a Saturday afternoon, actually. But there you go. Uh, I doubt either of you guys are rushing to see Black Adam, are you? Uh, it depends. Uh, since you've seen it, you can tell me. Will it affect my enjoyment of Shazam 2 in any way, shape, or form? Um, no. Then no. The only reason I, I'm going to see Shazam 2 is because my niece is, like, obsessed with the first one. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you get a slight uh, interconnection from the, the sort of background of the character in Black Adam, the the basis of it. Um, but otherwise, it isn't anything really intertwined with uh, Shazam 2. Like, the trailer was on for Shazam 2, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really... As far as I could tell, I didn't notice anything that was setting up for that. So it seems yeah. to be fairly separate with uh, one or two nods that weren't weren't really focused on Shazam. Kind of my problem with, like, I, I like the character of Black Adam, and I think uh, Franchise Viagra is a fine choice to play him, 
But the mm-hmm. problem with Franchise Viagra playing him is eventually he has to face off against Shazam. And Franchise Viagra can't lose. That's like literally in his contract. So what do you do with that when you have a villain that can't be defeated in a superhero movie? Which means they won't do it. So now they've got these mm. two characters who are intimately intertwined running around and doing their damnedest to not let them interact. I just don't get what their plan was. Well, um, yeah, like that's... Hmm, I mean, there's maybe ways around that in terms of lessons that can be learned and compromises, I think, but I don't know what I do think is interesting for you in particular, Dave, is this actually felt to me like a movie that was saying a bit more about uh, having the power in your own hands to try and, you know, shape your own fate or work together and make some real change by all pushing in the same direction. Although you've got the character of Black Adam in there, obviously, but around that, that's what I mean when I say the more interesting stuff wasn't really the wham-bam superhero stuff. There was, you know, I think there were decent ideas tucked away in there, and then they kept having to have the big crash-bang-wallop set-pieces and moments. So it's it's tricky, but I think you might end up being pleasantly surprised by the sort of what they might view as the lesser stuff in terms of the entertainment factor. But then you may just be rolling your eyes at all the other stuff. Nice. Uh, Then I watched Matriarch. It was on Disney Plus. I really liked it. And um, and a continuation from the reason we accidentally saw Black Adam. Uh, Vicky hated it. There's a woman who heads home to a small town and um, she's kind of wanting to have a time out and maybe get back on her feet and get a bit better. And her mother is there, played by Scottish actress Kate Dickey. And her mother should be about 80 or 90. And her mother looks the same age as Kate Dickey. And something's a bit off. I think Matriarch is really good. I think it's a pushback against... um, issues we've discussed before the whole the whole disney idea of kind of you know mother rules above all and all these sayings that revolve around uh around matriarchs and uh, it's it's a dark twisted film that probably goes a bit too crazy in a couple of places for people to stick with but I think if you can get on board with what it's doing and what it's showing you, it's a it's a really good film. The central performances are strong, although they're also, um, especially Kate Dickey, it's very kind of mannered and strange performance at times. You know, this is a mother and daughter with great distance between them, and occasionally they're trying to force themselves to be closer again after years apart. There's lots of resentment bubbling under the surface. Uh, there's lots of 
memories that may or may not be as characters are recollecting them. It's it's really interesting at the very least, and the more I thought on it, the more I liked it a lot. And last but by no means least for many folk, I sat through two hours and 15 or 20 minutes of Terrifier 2. And you two haven't done that yet, have you? I have not. Nope. I I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't shit on Damien Leon too much, or the guy that plays uh, Art the Clown, David Howard Thornton, I believe his name is. Like, they've done what they set out to do. You can see, by the way, horror fans have embraced Art the Clown and have enjoyed the gore that is put in the films. You know, they've they've done that. That's uh, that's what we wanted to do. That's that's great. A lot of people have loved this. I didn't like it. I wasn't a big fan of Terrifier. Um, you know, I, I just thought it was some good gore gags in search of an actual plot or just something better to hang on to. Terrifier 2 is, in a way, even weaker in terms of any plotting or decent characters, which is a shame because the lead is actually quite good here, but their characters aren't built up uh, well enough. Uh, there's a girl called Sienna, played by Lauren Lavera. Uh, she's she's really good. The gore is pretty great, so if you're a gore hound, it does that for you. It's just a shame that, for me, ideally, this could have been slimmed out in 90 minutes if they'd managed to put an emphasis on the impish nature of Art the Clown and the fun he could have just taunting and teasing people in between massively gory moments. I think that would have been a lot better. There's a scene here where he's basically annoying someone while while people are trying to be served at a shop counter. And he's got one of those, you know, honking horns. And at one point, it's basically somebody being like, you know, don't. And he's about to honk the horn. And I thought that was great. I thought it was really funny. I'm like, yes, and after this, there'll be a bit of insane gore and that'll work really well. But it doesn't play it long enough and then the insane gore goes on and on and on. There's another evil spirit who's like a child uh, played by Amelie McLean. She's really good. It just goes nowhere though. Um, I'm trying to think of what we've discussed before in movies where, you know, something starts with a, a moment or a scene really extreme and then just keeps going along, but there's nowhere to go. It can't escalate. It's done that. So the whole thing's basically a flat line to the end. For me, that just isn't really very, very good. I wouldn't say I was completely bored, but I knew that every other scene was just a gap until we get to more extreme gore and bloodshed. I can't recall what you guys thought of Terrifier. I didn't care for it. Like, the effects were neat, but I just was kind of bored. I didn't find art entertaining. And I think, mm. like, it, well, it's like all slashers. It really hinges on that. I just I just didn't find it fun or entertaining. I thought it was just a really dull setup for some decent gore gags. 
Um, I am a big fan of the first Terrifier. I thought All Hallows Eve was trash. I just I hated that movie, <laughs> but um, I love Terrifier. That one worked for me. I just it had like some awesome like mean spirited gore. I love Art the Clown. I just I had a blast with that one. I can't wait to see two. I uh, it didn't get a big release around my area, and when it did, it was like only at like nine fifty at night or like ten thirty. So I just I'll just wait for video. But um, yeah, I'm stoked to see it because I really liked Terrifier a lot. So I'm down. I mean, I think you'll like it. Obviously, it's more of what you liked in the first movie, taken to further extremes but you might still be able to see what i mean in in terms of you know i kind of wish there was more fun and playfulness in there and i wish there'd been just a bit more to it for me but then i liked all hallows eve i kind of think art for me would have worked better as a recurring character in shorts or appearing in other movies as some connective tissue uh, whether Leon made other anthologies or if he just made other movies that Art would kind of be passing the baton along now and again. I I think I might have really embraced that approach and just liked it more because it would feel more like he could be used for gags. And uh, when I say gags, I mean like gore and the humour. And then it, the film could go to some more interesting places. But yeah, I mean, I I think you're going to like the second one too, but get back to this when you've seen it. Will do. Uh, that was me. Time to honk my nose and finish. This week, we watched nineteen Universal's 1931 horror classic Dracula and Universal's 1931 horror classic Frankenstein and Universal's 1941 horror classic, The Wolfman, and Universal's 1954 horror horror classic, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Apparently I can only say horror three times before saying it totally wrong. Tyler. Yes, sir. You want to pick a movie and tell us about it? Of course. I am going to go with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh about a strange prehistoric beast who lurks in the depths of the Amazonian jungle while a group of scientists try to capture the animal and bring him back to civilization for study. Yeah, I uh, I fucking love Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's by far, by far, my favorite universal monster. Beautifully shot. Those underwater swimming scenes are fucking gorgeous. I could watch the creature swim for an hour and still be entertained from start to finish. Uh, make a 90-minute Gilman underwater ballet I'd watch that shit over and over again. I promise I'd watch it. I like the cast. Uh, Julie Adams, besides being like really gorgeous, is really good. Uh, Richard Denning, Richard Carlson. just It's a solid cast all around. I really dig this cast. The Gilman suit is fantastic and still holds up till this day. I love that most of the movie takes place in daylight. I mean, it just shows you that they weren't afraid to show off that suit because that suit is fucking amazing. Like I said, it's just it's wonderful. It has the best pacing of all four movies we watched this week. Uh, the music is great. Uh, this was the very, very first Universal monster movie I watched. And till this day, it's still my favorite. I just, I wish there were more movies about Jungle Cruise adventures and rubber-suited sea monsters because this is some fantastic stuff. I actually, uh, I actually visited 
the where they shot some of this in Florida. Um, oh, it's called Wakala Springs. I actually saw where they shot some of this, and that was a really cool little uh, trip that I went on. But it was a long time ago. But that was awesome. And um, if you're ever down in Florida, it's worth checking out because it's really pretty. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of this movie. Just I love it. Um, I'm I'm gonna go because I want to talk about someone. Okay. This movie opens with credits, like all old movies do, and this has become general knowledge for a lot, but not everyone, because there is a wrong credit in it. It credits the makeup effects and the creature to Bud Westmore, and that is a lying sack of shit. Uh, the Westmore clan is a venerable Hollywood royalty. Bud, on the other hand, is a piece of shit. Bud's long dead. If you got a problem with me talking shit about Bud, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, the creature was created by artist, animator, special effects designer, and occasional actress Millicent Patrick. Uh, she uh, animated Chernenberg for Disney's um, Fantasia's Night on Bald Mountain segment. She worked on Dumbo for a bit. She uh, worked um, on uh, a creature. She designed the creature, helped build the creature. Uh, they even toured her to, to promote the first ever lead female costume designer on a tour called uh, The Beauty Who, or The Beauty Who Created the Beast. And then Bud Westmore, jealous piece of shit, got promoted. He changed that tour to The Beauty Who Lives With the Beast to avoid citing Patrick as the creator of the Gill Man. When she came back from the press tour, she was fired and essentially blacklisted. Except for a handful of small acting roles, she never worked again. And then Westmore went out of his way to bury any and all reference to her. Uh, until just recently. Um, there were a couple times that she popped up since then. Uh, in the 70s, Farshay Ackerman did an article documenting her creation and other work for famous monsters of Filmland because Forrest J. Ackerman was a fucking awesome person because uh, he knew her and he wanted to give her proper credit. But before that, it, it and then I think in 2011, there was a tour.com article that talked about it. And in 2019, there was a book by Mallory O'Mara called The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which really gets into it and is excellent. And you should go read it. Shouldn't they, Kevin? Yes, yeah, Steve, I am reading it. You know, I'm on page 26, and I was already raging by about page 12. Yeah, it's it's a good book, uh, well-written, well-researched. And, I mean, it's time Universal fixes that credit. This movie is streaming on multiple services in October, uh, including Criterion and um, Peacock. And I think it's on, like, uh, Canopy or or the other library one. It's on a bunch. And this movie came out as I 
said not long ago came out in 1954 so it has carried an incorrect credit for a long fucking time now 70 well no uh 60 68 years i mean is it's you know what it's time to fucking fix it I mean, I I was really rude to Bud Westmore earlier, but it does kind of put a, a pall on all of his work after that. Uh, it's just, it's it's time to fix it. It's time to give credit where credit is due. And there's just no excuse for that credit to stand. I mean, there's there's no fucking excuse for it. I mean, sometimes I get on my soapbox and I rage about things, and this is one that I, this really is a rager to me. Uh, just imagine pouring your heart and soul into something and creating, because they still make, I think they make as much money on Gilman as almost any others, except for maybe the bride. But there's Gilman shirts and dresses and backpacks and patches and comics and glassware and books and pinball games. And I mean, the Gilman in terms of, um, Universal Monsters is he's upper echelon even though there's the movies are fewer and I don't think they did as well on release he's been embraced by the cult even more than the Invisible Man or rivaling you know the bride and it is it's time to fix it I mean, people make mistakes for shitty reasons, jealousy or hubris, you know, tons of reasons. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, we, we vilify those that did wrong, but it's always, it's never too late to make it right. And it's time to make it right. You know, I, I mean, I guess if you're waiting for the 70th anniversary, Okay, but it's 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 time to make it right. It's beyond time to make it right. As for the movie itself, this has some of the best black and white shots underwater ever done. The underwater ballet with um, the creature and Julia Adams is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and the creature was played by two... Uh, guys, one on land, it was uh, Ben Chapman. Ben Chapman is best known for just being the Gill Man. Um, I'm not really sure what else he did. I think he was a real estate executive, and I think he went back to that after the movie. Uh, didn't do <laughs> much acting. He just he was six foot five, and that's why they they hired him. Um, but he he occasionally did other stuff as, as it went along. And in Underwater, it was a man named Riku Browning, who uh, is a, was a director, actor, screenwriter, cinematographer, and stuntman. Uh, he was the gill man in all three movies, doing the underwater bits. He co-created Flipper, you know, the, the dolphin TV show. I think there was a movie. Was there also a movie in that? Anyway, the dolphin TV show. Uh, what else? He's directed the underwater scenes in Thunderball. 
and uh, Never Say Never Again. Uh, I think he did the underwater cinematography in Caddyshack. And uh, he's still he's still kicking. And up until pretty recently, he'd still go to con- conventions and stuff. So did you ever meet him, T? I did, actually. Yeah. Uh, back in 2010. Super, super nice guy. Awesome. Just really, really cool dude. Yeah. Yeah, he's... I, I met him a couple times. He's he's an awesome human being who's done some really cool work. Uh, I think it was the second unit director on Raise the Titanic. Now that I'm thinking about it, more stuff's popping into my head. Uh, ex, you know, awesome actor, did great work, and the work in this film is incredible. I mean, just absolutely, absolutely jaw-dropping. Uh, so that's great. The cast... Well, the, the the spot where this kind of falls apart a little is the script's a little weak. Uh, I kind of hate most of the characters. They set one... It, it, what's funny, the real irony of this movie is one of the major plot points is scientist, hero scientist is angry at vaguely sinister scientists for stealing credit of other things for other people's work, which, you know, then happened on the film. So, you know, I I don't know. Is there an irony bell? Should I be ringing it? Did nobody learn the lesson of the fucking movie? Anyway. Uh, There's some issues like our hero, Dr. David is played by Richard Carlson. And he is, he's kind of a racist asshole. Like, well, the, brown nobodies that work for them are dying he doesn't fucking care he's happy to just walk around and take his sweet ass time and do bullshit they're totally unprepared for and the second a rich educated white guy gets hurt he's ready to turn tail and run he's just kind of he's a horrible horrible lead character uh and and ridiculously racist and it really undermines my enjoyment of the film don't get me wrong overall i love the creature it is one of my favorite universal films but this time watching it and last time i watched it in 3d a couple months ago it really struck me as how awful david is and how poorly they treat julia adams k because she's gorgeous but she is literally just arm candy to be fought over by the two male leads and it's kind of icky bits did not age well but overall, it's great. And anytime it's underwater, it's amazing. There's some smart ideas worked out and how they go about trapping the creature. There's some fun little interactions between the, the two opposing male leads. It's a good one. Just, you know, it's it's got some bits that just don't really age well. And it's time to change that fucking credit. Change that fucking credit, guys. I had my glow around me all this week thinking, oh, I'm going to go a bit, have watched it in 3D. Oh, watched it in the cinema in 3D. Oh, that's great. But Dave will have projected it, but I watched it in 3D. Yeah. And then you guys go about meeting the guy who was in the creature suit and Tyler's been to the fucking location. So screw you guys. <laughs> Just try to make me insanely Sorry. jealous for this time. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, did you watch it in 3D, Kevin? Well, I met Rico Browning. Fuck you. So, uh, 
now get that out of the way that's fine <laughs> i mean the 3d the 3d is really striking i think the the fossilized hand sticking out of the rock in the beginning is one oh, of the most striking 3d shots it's uh it's all genuinely great 3d but also considering what they were going for with uh just the the underwater shots as well and the the mix of the beauty and the horror i i watched this film and i can never get my head around how they got it made i'm pretty sure uh you know browning was probably in danger quite a few times because didn't he i don't think they could fit tanks or they didn't want to because they want to see bubbles yeah just hold your breath for four minutes and, and he could shot. though i mean yeah uh, but jesus <laughs> it it just it doesn't it doesn't seem safe at all but but the results are oh they're astonishing i I agree with most of what both of you say. I'm certainly glad uh, Dave took the leads and I found out a lot this week about Millicent Patrick and wanted to make sure we certainly did our did our due diligence in that regard. It's a terrible story and I agree with you on just the general sentiment of fuck Bud Westmore for that uh, scheme that he decided upon while she was away and he got jealous because the design is wonderful it is um, like we all know Frankenstein's monster from an early age and Dracula and well, I don't know how it works for this generation but me growing up you would see the photos of the old universal monsters and even the wolfman would you know look pretty convincing because it's a guy covered in hair funnily enough the creature looks kind of even as a kid you're like huh you know just seeing it in a photo you're like oh it's a guy in a suit that's funny and then when you're watching the film and the film has him alive and feeling very much like a, a threat a strong threat because you know you have the context of them going to his territory of him being stealthy and you know smart enough to not just necessarily wander into their net in the first occasion it's really great like i still think it can look really silly and the fakest of them all in the still photos but in the movie and you're still watching the movie thinking well it's a it's a rubber suit but it's a great rubber suit but the context of the film turns that rubber suit to flesh and fear inducing flesh i think it's just so good um despite what Dave says about the the script and the characters and I realise those things are there and the way it has dated it's another film that despite the imperfections I class it as a perfect movie it it just is um, you know like all of these Universal Monster movies it's pretty brisk it's just under 80 minutes director Jack Arnold 
has, um, I think it was round about this time, we had a few absolute classics that people have. He did The Incredible Shrinking Man. I can't recall if it was before or after this where he did Tarantula. And uh, Tarantula is a really good one as well. I think he did Tarantula. Um, he did this and uh, the sequel he did. It came from outer space. I can't recall if I like that one or not. I think I might also have that in a 3D Blu-ray. Was that also 3D? I don't know offhand. It came from outer space. Oh, maybe I've got another treat ahead of me. I've been this excited since I picked Dial M for Murder. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think it's it's just wonderful. The the atmosphere really works. The the cast, particularly the ones you don't see in the Gilman suit, uh, are great. And Julie Adams is a fantastic leading lady here. Yeah, I I just think it's uh, it's frankly. It, although it has flawed flaws, I view it as a flawless work. I just absolutely love it. And am I the only one? I, I, there's there's a scene where I think it's David and is it David and Mark that go diving together under the water? Yeah. Are they the two? Yeah. Sort of Yeah. Now it's not all the way through the music, but at one point there's a musical motif that certainly seems close enough to just the two-note Jaws theme. I'm not alone in just spotting that or just jumping to that coincidental connection, am I? Well, they they do the same thing where they have, what is it, like four notes, the creature theme, and Uh, every time the creature is there, dung, dung, dung. Well, yeah, but there's there's one point where it's just... Uh, I think it's less. I think it's the two notes. It's only for one little point. And I'm not saying at all that uh, John Williams saw this and thought that'll do because I know that he um, he just went for something minimal for Jaws. But uh, just kind of retroactively, I think, I think viewers can watch this and then pick up on that and think of it that way. And whether it is, uh, as I suspect, just complete coincidence and accidental, it's just a pleasant reminder that, you know, despite this being, in the eyes of many people, probably quite a bit goofier and, uh, you know, dated from mid-50s, it's still very much a, a natural precursor to, to a lot of the movies that, you know, are based around the fear of what's under the water and what we can't see while we're swimming about. Oh, I, I, I do know the scene you're talking about now. Yeah, I think it's an accident just because they insisted on having that two-note theme play every time it's on the screen. Yeah. Because it's the one where they're all under... It's like right before their first encounter. And they're yeah. all underwater and yeah. it keeps cutting back and he's just right, like, barely missing him. Bare, yeah. Yeah, that, that... Yeah, okay, yeah, no, I get that now. But I think it's just nice in the way that, you know, as as film fans watching that, it'll just ring a little bell in your brain to remind you that, you know, this this may not seem as direct a connection to to Jaws or to what 
you know, the men that came after Jaws and Piranha and all that, but it very much is um, because it's it's dealing, you know, in, in the same stuff. It's uh, it's swimming in the same water, to use a bad pun. That's it. I love it. It's a perfect movie. It's not perfect, but it's perfect to me. And next up, I'm going to go for our favourite little puppy, the Wolfman, 1941. Directed by George Wagner. And I think from the selection here, he's the director that I know least about. And I'm not sure if he had many other kind of big hits. Um, I know he did some TV work including uh, Batman and The Man From U.N.C.L.E. I'm sure Dave probably loves him for Batman work. But um, I don't know of any other films he did. He did 10 episodes of Batman, and when he directs it, he spells his name all in lowercase, except the two G's in Wagner, which are big old capitals. Yeah. Oh. That's um, well, that's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> anyway, it's um, you know, everyone knows the stories of these films that we're discussing. So basically, the Wolfman has Lon Chaney Jr. as Lawrence Talbot, uh, Claude Rains as his dad, so John Talbot. The uh, supporting cast includes Ralph Bellamy, Evelyn Anchors, and uh, you know, Bella Lugosi playing someone named uh, Bela and how am I going to pronounce this surname right? Maria Uspenskaya as Maleva. I'm, that, was, that was good. Thank you. Um, who tends to sort of deliver some extra exposition and be potentially uh, helpful to our main character as well. Lawrence Talbot suffers a bite and starts to feel a bit hairy when the moon goes. Uh, that's it. I really, I really like The Wolfman. It is just under 70 minutes or maybe bang on 70 minutes. I can't recall if it's the shortest of these four films. It certainly feels like it. Uh, between this and Frankenstein, I think. It rattles along. It's. I think they're actually the same runtime. I think they're both seventy oh. minutes. It's Lon Chaney Jr. is really good in this role because his character doesn't have much going from apart from being Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> like he he actively pursues. The, the the woman in the film played by Evelyn Ankers and she has a fiance a boyfriend slash fiance which which doesn't stop Lon Chaney Jr. Um, so you could say he's being a bit of a dog before he turns into a bit of a dog but he just he makes it work he's a he's a very sort of likable sympathetic presence and I I like this. Now, was 
was Werewolf of London Universal. It was, and it was about 10 years before this. Yeah, so it was kind of a first go at it for them. But, you know, this is the this is a more entertaining and uh, the, the the brisker version. I think it, I think it works really well. I think they've got they've got enough familiar faces as well littered throughout the cast to help things along there, just to just to keep it ticking over because there isn't that much more to it. It's kind of slim. It feels like the sort of thing that has been expanded from the poem that we know. You know, even a man who's pure at heart and sees his prayers at night, that one. Um, but it works. It's very moody. It's impressive. The the uh, makeup is great. This is uh, Jack Pierce again, isn't it, for the werewolf makeup? Uh, really, really good stuff. And we have seen, certainly over the past couple of decades, how this kind of this particular creature anyway, this monster, isn't well replicated by by CGI. People just try to do it with computers. Uh, they keep advancing. They might nail it one day, but there's just nothing really better, perhaps because of the, the tactile aspect of it, even though you're only looking. Uh, there's nothing better than someone with a lot of hair stuck on their face. I'm a fan. I, I like it. I mean, it, it's... I would probably... This isn't a, a number one or number two. This might make uh, this might make the third spot if we're ranking from these four. That's me. Um, I like the Wolfman a lot. Uh, it actually might be my favorite next to the Creature Trilogy. I, I go back and forth with another movie we covered this week. Um, I love the mood and the atmosphere in those forest shots uh, with all that dense fog. It just it looks amazing. Uh, the cast is really good. Lon Chaney Jr. is great, but uh, his character is like a straight-up fucking creeper. Uh, Judas is gross. His dialogue. <laughs> yeah, he uh, is. Everything everything he says is like straight up stalker status weirdo, and he should never be allowed around women ever because he would most likely try to sniff their asses and not in a good way. Dude is fucking weird. Um, uh, I love the werewolf makeup though. I mean, it's it's simple, but it's so good. Uh, the tragic ending is amazing. This is actually one of the best endings of the Universal monster movies, in my opinion. I just I always felt this was the most undervalued of these movies. I think there's a lot of psychological depth that a lot of werewolf movies don't have that's in this movie. It's a good script. It's a, it's good stuff. It's not perfect. It's super short, but I think the middle section does kind of lag a bit for me personally, but I've always really enjoyed this one. Uh, like I said, it goes back and forth with another movie we covered this week, so I will save that movie for that one but um yeah the wolfman is great and uh, it's definitely up there as one of the top tier werewolf movies so yeah good stuff i mean to be fair to you you don't want to pad out the middle section with too many scenes of cheney jr watching a woman through a telescope no that's true <laughs> it really underlines the creepiness of it. it does uh yeah i also really like this one um I think Lon Chaney Jr. is is fine. 
he is outclassed by everyone else in this cast, but it's a stacked cast. I mean, you got Claude Rains playing his daddy. Uh, who else is in it? Um, Warren William, who was always solid in uh, pre-code. He, he'd eventually become the first guy to play Perry Mason, but like in the 30s, he was in so much shit. Always excellent. He's really good in this as the doctor. Um, Ralph Bellamy is always a solid choice. Uh, he's excellent in The Awful Truth, which was a couple years later. I mean, like, it's a, it's a good cast. It is a really, really solid cast. Um, even Evelyn Anchors, who uh, made a bunch of other stuff with Lon Chaney Jr., is, you know, she's she's a little better than him in this one. He gets better as time goes on, but I think it's his first film, isn't it? Don't everybody think, jump in at once. I, I think I was, I was accidentally muted again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do that so in case I make a noise. I, I'm not sure, but I always thought he, I always thought Cheney Jr. had quite a sort of wooden, dull style. Anyway, I just well, think it, it works for this, and would... more more than some of the other roles he got. It's it's not his first. Oh. Okay, I th- I thought it was, but it's it's still fairly early. I mean, I think his first. You got to remember, it's the '30s, so they just cranked shit out. Like yeah. crazy. He did like 12 movies in two years. I'm sorry, three years before it. So uh, I'm a fan. I think it's it's pretty great. Uh, I Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chaney is he's a super creep and he is like proud of it. He he just tells people he's been watching them through the window. Hey, I just saw you looking through a telescope, baby, and it works. So, I mean, I guess I can't fault him for it. Uh, Claude Rains is great. Claude Rains is always great. So, you know, that's a shock. Uh, I love the makeup. The makeup was designed by Jack Pierce, but it wasn't designed by him for this movie. It was originally done. uh, The design and stuff was originally done for Werewolf of London, but it didn't work for the plot. Because even if the people don't recognize him, the audience needs to recognize the villain in that. So they didn't use it. So it sat around forever. Uh, well, six years. And then it got used in this, and it's excellent. He just, Pierce just recycled it, and it's it's great. <laughs> it's a great makeup. Like, if I think of Werewolf, there are two that pop into my head. The first two that pop into my head are this and American Werewolf in London. For me, they are the definitive werewolf looks. Maybe I'm wrong, but everything else is in between these two. You know, they're, they're mixes of the pure wolf, that giant dire wolf from Paris. I mean, London, sorry. Oh, oh that was a big slip of the tongue. <laughs> and the the mostly human wolf of this one, it's all just shades in between those two, and I don't think any... Other gets it quite as well. I mean, there's other ones I like. Like, I like the Silver Bullet and the Late Phases one. is nice. And the Howling Wolves are, you know, I don't like the movies, but the wolves I remember looking good. Maybe I misremember because it's been a long time. And I'm just entranced by D. Wallace. Is that it? That could be it. But whatever. I digress. 
I think this is the only one that didn't get its own direct sequel, isn't it? I think so. I mean, out, out of the majors, like I, Phantom never got a sequel. It almost did a couple times, but. Yeah, he was just sort of uh, put in, then lumped in with the later Frankenstein movies, wasn't it? Yeah, because I think the one that follows this is uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, where Bill Lugosi plays Frankenstein, and it's so fucking weird. And then, yeah, Abbott and Costello. Is there another one? Is there one I'm forgetting between? Yeah, in the is, House of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein. House yeah. of Dracula. Yeah, so he never got, like, his own film sequels. After this one, they start the monster mashes, which I have a soft spot for. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I just think it's a shame they didn't give it a little bit more time to, like, breathe on its own. Because sometimes getting a second trip is is the best thing. Oh, uh also, the it was written by uh Kurt Sidomark Sidomack, Sidomack, yes, who also wrote uh Donovan's Brain and it was the younger brother of brilliant noir director Robert Sidomack who did The Killers and God what else? Uh Killers, The Man in Search of His Murder, The Weaker Sex. White Cargo, Son of Dracula, Phantom Lady, I mean, Dark Mirror. Yeah, I really like Robert's work, so I'm just going to stop there. I will keep going. Uh, it's it's a strong, it's a it's a decent script. It might be a little bit too in love with its own little rhymes, but it has a lot of interesting ideas, uh, most of which get abandoned later on. Like, I, I don't, the pentagram's not used in the later ones. It's not werewolf season. It's just the full moon after this one. So there's some interesting differences in, in this one compared to what goes forward. But speaking of ones that got it better the second time around, Frankenstein, 1931, directed by James Whale, based on... Okay, this is a weird one. You ever look into how they credited the writing of this film? No. Okay. Did they base it on the play? <laughs> no. Okay. There's a weird credit called, um, I think it's assembled by, hold on. Let me, my, my tablet went to sleep. Let, let me pull up my note. I think I wrote it down. There's a really weird credit called, um, I didn't write it down, but basically it's like base. It's, it says stage or something. It says it's a weird word by um it's based on a play by John L. Balderton, which is adapted from the Peggy Webling play, because Balderton hated the Webling play, which in turn is based on the book okay. Right, okay. So it's it's written by, right, Garrett Fort and Francis Edward Fargo. With scenario editor, story credit to Richard Scheer, with, and I think it's based on a situation by John L. Batterson, who wrote the play they had licensed. His play is a reworking of the Peggy Webling play, which itself is then based off the novel by Mary Shelley. Yes, that's it. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think if I missed one. 
I think part of my brain just tried to bleed out of my ears. I know. Well, Dracula's fairly Dracula is similar uh, in, yeah. in how it's. And then they don't they don't um, credit Mary Shelley as Mary Shelley. They credit her as Mrs. Percy Sayer Shelley. Because, yeah, why not? It's the 30s, I guess. Uh, Frankenstein has some gorgeous shots. And Boris Karloff's uh, monster is fantastic. It is one of those performances that I think when all of mankind is dead and gone and heat death is slowly expanding out from the center of the universe and aliens are running away looking for some place to maybe just, you know, exist a little bit longer. Uh, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein is one of the things that will be left from, from human civilization because it is, it is a hell of a performance. But the rest of the movie, ah, I'm sorry, it's just, it's not as good as Bride. And that's kind of its its problem, generally. Uh, there's some nice sets, but the script is not great. And Colin Clive, who's excellent in some other films and really good in Bride, is just a little too stilted early talkies here. The rest of the cast is, is bad. Even Dwight Fry, who also shows up in Frankenstein, his character of Fritz is a non-entity. He's just like, he's a little mean in a scene or two. And that's, that's like all there is to him. And this is the problem with Frankenstein is it kind of speeds along things too much. And then when it slows down, it's with the wrong characters. And a lot of this stuff is fixed in Bride. But it just doesn't let Frankenstein itself hold up as well. The ending is rushed. The The scene with the little girl Maria is excellent. The When they bring him to life, it's excellent. The... the look at the final confrontation at the windmill is is just fantastic but it's kind of boring getting there overall there's like 30 minutes before the creature the monster is is resurrected and those are not the best um Lionel Barrymore's a little wasted as Herr Vogel, the burgermeister of the village. Uh, Frederick Kerr as the Baron, the doctor's father, is terrible. I mean, he's just bad. Edward Van Sloan is Dr. Waldman, who is also in Dracula, and I like in Dracula, is not good in this one. He doesn't, like, his character is a nothing. It's a non-entity. He's just filling time. And Mae Clark's the same way. She is just not good in it. She was also in Public Enemy that we watched. Was it earlier this year or last year? I don't remember. She was in another movie we covered. She's not great. And overall, Frankenstein is a bit of a drag. I hate to say it because there's some great P 
pieces. It just doesn't come together as a whole for me. Now, I know it's the exact opposite of what Kevin's going to say because I I like Dracula more than this one. And Kevin doesn't like anything less than he likes Dracula. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not entirely untrue. I, I think uh, from these four that we're discussing, I think Dracula is the weakest of them. You're not wrong in that Frankenstein uh, doesn't compare as favorably to Bride of Frankenstein, where everything is better. But on the other hand, Frankenstein is still so good for me. Like again, I think I think this is just I I think it's top tier. I don't really bother about the rest of the cast because you know Karloff sometimes literally casts such a long shadow over the film I think Clive is really good here as uh, Henry Frankenstein I think he's I think he's great I think his performance is absolutely how it should be uh, I think you know director James Well gets everything out of his cast that he wants from them and then obviously has the team that gives him what he wants for the classic lab environment and the different settings, uh, the different moments where it's uh, Karloff's creature, you know, meeting a little girl, etc. I, I just think going by basic beats for this story, and I know going back to the source material, it is quite different. Uh, Tyler mentioned he was watching Branagh's take on Frankenstein that has a, a few more elements from the the novel that I've still uh, sadly never read yet. But I think for this time and for packaging it all into into a movie that will entertain, horrify and explore the main themes like it's a it's a classic sounds obvious to say it um i think it really is i just think it has enough going through each main sequence that easily dominates any of the weaker parts of it which could be the supporting cast or parts of the script um none of that matters to me because I'm getting kind of iconic moments directly into my eyes. And as as I say, I just, I really like Clive's performance here. Uh, if anything, it's been been a bit longer since I've seen Bride, but to me, I remember him being a little bit more jittery and nervier in Bride, and I think that ends up almost being carried by you have Karloff again, but the actor who played Pretorius, uh, I can't, I can't remember his name. Is it Thersiger? Eric Thersiger, maybe something like that. I hope. Uh, like that's the big difference between those two films for me in terms of where the strength is in the lead performances. But yeah, I, I just cannot ever again view this as anything less than. 
a titan of the genre. I love it. And I know Tyler agrees. Tag. Yes, uh, I will watch anything <laughs> Frankenstein related. I love this story. Uh, this came out the same year as Dracula. And to spoil my thoughts, uh, it's shocking how much better of a film this actually is. Uh, most likely because of James Whale, because James Whale was a wonderful, wonderful filmmaker. Um, it isn't my favorite of these movies, but I would easily say it's the best directed film in the oeuvre of the Universal Monster universe. Karloff is amazing. But, um, but Bride. I mean, come on. I mean, it's the same guy, but still. Yeah, I mean, the the, the emotion he portrays through Frankenstein's monster is truly something special. Karloff is fucking incredible. I mean, you care for his character so much and it's amazing how well he plays it. I just I loved him so much in this. It's he's amazing. Uh Colin Clive is totally fucking unhinged and I adore his performance as well. He's very good in it. Um it looks great. It has those stark high contrast black and white visuals. I love that lab setting. That lab looks amazing. Just amazing. Um like Dave and Kevin, I do also prefer Bride. I think Bride is a much better film, but for me, this is still a total fucking classic, and I am really quite the fan of this one. I like it a lot. Uh, but before we move on, Dr. Pretorius in Bride is played by Ernest Thiger. Thiesger? I I think we can all agree that's pretty much what I said, so that's a win for me. Yay. <laughs> Dracula. A Transylvanian vampire Count Dracula bends a naive real estate agent to his will, then takes up resident at a London estate where he sleeps in his coffin by day and searches for potential victims by night. Um, I am not a fan of this movie. If I'm being totally honest, I think it's by far the worst of the Universal Monster movies. And that includes The Invisible Man or The Mummy. Um, but there's things I do love in it. Uh, the sound mix is terrible. I know it's a movie made in 1931, so I really shouldn't be knocking it for that. But the sound is really, really bad. And that ending is an anticlimactic wet fart. I mean, that ending is fucking awful. Terrible. Uh, Bella Lugosi is fantastic, though. I mean, dude just revels in sinister charisma and charm. And he's just, Bela Lugosi is fantastic. Uh, and it looks amazing. I mean, the castle and those catacombs are fucking stunning. Uh, visually, I just, I love every scene in the castle. And the scene with Dracula's brides rising from the coffins will forever live rent-free in my head because that's a great scene. Um, I do think the first 20 minutes of the movie are great. But once it gets to London, I'm just bored waiting for it to get back to Dracula's castle. Uh, there's great stuff in this movie, and I don't hate it or anything. Uh, but as a whole, I think it's the weakest of the Universal Monsters. But Bella is amazing, as always. Well, I'm, I'm generally in agreement with Tyler again. I I like a lot of this. And it's certainly hard to argue against this for being an iconic, uh, you know, starting point for a traditional version of this character and how a lot of vampires would be 
depicted throughout cinema. Lugosi is superb, certainly more so when he's in his castle than when he arrives in London and just starts to look either goggle-eyed or deeply menacing at people for no obvious reason. Like, it's it's a performance that is designed to allow people at the back to see his expression, if you know what I mean, from when they were doing it as a stage play. That's what it feels like. He was knitting his brows so hard, I thought a bloody bedsheet was going to fall out of him. It's really over the top. And yet, it's not unlikable because it sort of establishes everything we've got now, even if in your mind you're just thinking of uh, the Count from Sesame Street, who is still also a great vampire character, you know, for kids. Uh, This also has, uh, as Dave mentioned, Dwight Fry uh, playing Renfield in this one, and, and he's very good here. Renfield's good. I think... Edward Van Sloan's good as Van Helsing. But as has been mentioned uh, with with Frankenstein, especially these first installments in the Universal Monster Horror movies, it's um, they don't have the strongest supporting cast, I don't feel. Uh, certainly not Dracula and Frankenstein. But it doesn't matter as much because you have the rest that that sort of pushes them out of the way. It doesn't matter. You've got Bela Lugosi. Um, you, you've got Dwight Fry being being fun and Edward Van Sloan being over the top. Todd Browning directs this quite well. It was... Um, it's a shame that this week I didn't have time to do the homework to watch the Spanish version that was filmed at the same time of this. Uh, I know Dave will keep me right. The day film at night while this was filmed during the day. They filmed it at night on the same sets while this was filmed during the day. And the Spanish language version is the better version. Yeah, well, I definitely remember it being better in terms of the atmosphere and the the overall tone throughout it. So I'd recommend everyone check that out as well. Um, Dracula... This Dracula holds up because of Lugosi's iconic turn at the start of it. It's it's brisk and breezy. It rattles through it, you know. Um, it, it sort of picks and chooses from the novel, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, particularly with Dracula, because it's done in that. Um, God, I'm forgetting the name for the style. Because the book itself is written as in selection of diary entries, loads of letters, different bits and pieces. And there's a name for that style of writing, isn't there? Yep. Damn it, I, I can't remember what it is. Um, oh, but anyway. <laughs> it's ep- epistolor- epistolary. epistolary. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, this is one of the the few that I've read. Well, you know, Frankenstein's on my list. Dracula, I have read. 
and Dracula is a book with some very good moments in it and it obviously laid the framework for what was to come from it but reading throughout the book you can appreciate that it would be very easy to pick and choose and and do film versions of it that can be you know feeling dare I say a bit better than the actual book itself so it doesn't matter I don't think that this isn't really bothered about being faithful and once again it was written by folk who all joined together to adapt to play this, this whole sequence of names that um, similar to the ones that Dave gave us for Frankenstein I'm not going to go through them all but I think it just it knows that Lugosi is good enough as a central character I think it knows that there thrills and chills from the idea of presenting a, a modern vampire tale on screen will be good enough and it, it works because it just does that it, it does it before this all became commonplace and overdone and yeah it, it works real well but I would absolutely recommend people uh, check out the Spanish version for as I say better atmosphere and consistent tone but you gotta you gotta root for Lugosi that's me um, I I like Dracula. Uh, yeah, the Spanish language version is the best of the two. Um, I think both Daughter of Dracula does a lot more interesting things and is kind of slept on because it's pretty progressive for its time. And that's a bit of a tragedy. I think um, Son of Dracula, which Lon Chaney is Alucard, by the way, is a, a solid... Uh, sequel, which is, that one's actually directed by Robert Sidemek, uh, talking about how things you know go or, or, or connect. But the original Dracula, the movie that kicked off all of um, all of the Universal monsters, is uh, it's a good one. I mean, again, it's not great. It's not the best of the four we saw this week. I think, in comparison, it works overall as a better for me than Frankenstein because it does things I like a bit better. There's some excellent shots, especially the close-ups of Lugosi are mesmerizing. Uh, Dracula is, he's a camp character. I don't think there's been any performance of him that I would call grounded and naturalistic. I'm going to pause and let you guys challenge me on that, but I don't think you can either. I definitely can't. Yeah. Mm, No. I mean, and Lugosi plays the camp pretty perfectly. I mean, there's others that do it really well. I mean, I think, um, um, Coppola's Dracula, they camp it up just enough, but, I mean, they're 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 chewing on that scenery pretty fucking hard every time Dracula's on the scene. And here it's done with a, a bit more of a knowing wink. I mean, it, it is campy, it is stagey, it is theatrical, but so is Dracula. Uh, Lugosi, I think, is is absolutely fantastic in the role. Um, 
just the like the way he moves and the the way he sounds it's it's different than anything else in well in the film or any other approach to the character and there's a lot of folks that have tried to copy it and have not come close uh i think because i i mean there's a quite a there's a lot of overlap with um frankenstein i think Dwight Fry is is much better in this than he is in uh, Frankenstein. And he's much better in Bride also. And actually pretty much everything else he's better than in Frankenstein. Because he gives Renfeld some real character. And and real, he's torn. And it really, it reads well still. Uh, Edward Von Sloan, I think, is better in this than he is in Frankenstein. Because his... I mean, yeah, he goes to vampire way too quickly, but it's, you know, how how long is the movie? It's it's 75 minutes. So, things go quick. Uh Yeah, I I like his Van Helsing a lot more. He gives him personality. His scenes with Lugosi, now granted they've been doing it on Broadway for a while and they had it down pat, but they flow well. There's a nice antagonistic nature towards them. I love seeing them interplay with each other. It is a highlight of the film. I think um, Herbert Bunston is decent. Not great, but he's decent as Dr. Seward. He was also a holdover from the Broadway. Okay. Uh, This might be the worst Mina and Jonathan Harker ever put on film. They're very much of their time. And they totally forget about the Lucy subplot. And they call it out. It's in there. They set it up. And then they do nothing with it in this movie. They literally forget she's out there. I don't know how much got cut out. But if... if And... um. There's the attendant for some comic relief who does maybe one of the most broad English joke accents ever done. It has it has issues, but the brides there's some awesome shots with them. The castle looks great. It has some good bits in with the goof but i mean so does frankenstein none of these movies are bad i just feel as a as a whole as a narrative piece of art dracula works a bit better because it is a narrative but that's just down to personal preference i think everybody should see all of them i think everybody should watch the whole universal monsters cycle so I mean, I will, I will sing to the heavens for not just, not just uh, Dracula's daughter, which is, you know, that's a 1936 uh, uh, story about a woman coming to terms with being a lesbian. It's a good one, and I love Return of the Invisible Man. Vincent Price is great, even when he's not seen. I, I love these movies, so I'm not saying any are bad, and I'm not saying don't watch them. I'm just saying I like Dracula a little bit better 
than I like Frankenstein. And it's that time. You gotta pick one. Um, well, I'd second the, the comment to watch them all, uh, including the, all the sequels, just all of them. Um, but from this four, I have to go with Creature from the Black Lagoon and bonus points for Millicent Patrick. Yeah, I third everyone watching them all. They're all great. Uh, even if the ones I'm not a huge fan of, like Dracula or The Invisible Man, there's still good stuff in them. Um, out of the four, though, Creature from the Black Lagoon, for sure. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Creature. I mean, that should have been obvious to anybody that sat through this. Creature is great. We all love Creature. I mean, you can go watch Creature. I mean, watch them all. Watch them all. But next week, October will be over, and we'll be back to our normal thing. So, uh, I, I guess... Tyler drew the short star and he gets an extra pick. Kevin T what you got for us? I am going for drive, but it's a 1997 Mark Dacascos action movie drive. That feels like it was a targeted attack on T. <laughs> that was, that was brutal. Eh? Oh, oh, no, he literally no. just told us on Messenger how little he thinks of Mark Dacascos just the other day in order to pump up Vincent Perez. <laughs> oh, well, no, yeah. I mean, to, I to thought... be fair, I, I, I liked him as a crow. I, 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 I was just hoping for Nicholas winning Refn, but hey. All right, right. <laughs> um, no, I just recently picked up the, the Blu-ray that had been out a while and I'd forgotten was there. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted an excuse to... To rewatch it, and you know, if if you guys haven't seen it, then you will get to see it. If you've seen it before, see if you like it this time. Yeah, I have not seen it. I'm looking forward to. It. Like I said, I do like Mark Dacascos. I just uh, I haven't seen much with him. I just uh, I did like him as the crow in the TV show, though. So, okay, so my pick. I am continuing down my odyssey of the life and times of women who work in the porn industry. Uh, we're taking a trip back to my top 100 with Sean Baker's 2012 drama, Starlet. You can find us on Twitter at Raiders of the Pod or on Facebook, where I have been remembering to do a, a midweek post. Uh, we're on Instagram, Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. We have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe, like, and comment and watch Kevin's awesome videos weekly. And you can always email us at Raiders of the Podcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. I mean, no, really. You should you should go watch them all. And Universal needs to change that fucking credit. Yep. I mean, what the fuck, guys? Thanks for listening. Thanks for talking to me, guys. I'll talk to you next week. See you. See ya.